When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everyone, and welcome to the Orange Brown Talk podcast here on a Tuesday Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot. And we are doing a Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast fresh off of draft weekend. Let's get right to it, Mary Kay. I thought this was a fun question and I went ahead and looked up uh, some of the data as well. It comes from Molly from Lynnhurst. Hey Mary Kay, just for fun, being that they are both about the same size with nearly identical 40 times, what do you think of the Cedric Tillman, Josh Gordon comparison that's being bandied about at the combine Tillman had better vertical and broad jump numbers than Gordon. And I looked this up, Mary Kay on the website, it's called mock draftable where you can put in a player's name and they bring up players at the position who are similar to that player. And indeed uh, one, two, three, four, five players down the list after our buddy, Muhammad Masakwa, who was second uh, Josh Gordon, 85.7% comparable to Cedric Tillman. That's a very interesting comp, and I'm sure one that Browns fans would welcome if he becomes the player that that Josh Gordon was before, of course, his, his career got derailed. Well, Josh Gordon was perhaps the most natural uh, receiver that I had ever seen in Cleveland. Uh, you know, Amari Cooper is amazing, absolutely amazing, too. Uh, but he's right up there with where Josh Gordon was. Josh Gordon had uh, just real natural hands, natural route running ability. Uh, you know, his uh, he, he could have been a Hall of Fame receiver. He, he really could have. He was one of the best receivers that I have ever seen come through these parts. So if Cedric Tillman is even three-fourths of the player that Josh Gordon was and could have been from an on-field talent standpoint, then the Browns have absolutely hit one out of the park here. If he can do those kinds of things uh, that Josh Gordon could do, uh, then, you know, then they have struck gold with, with said Tillman. So, you know, they're going to have to see how this actually works out. I think a lot of people forgot about Cedric Tillman because he was injured last year coming off of uh, the Tua tightrope ankle surgery that he had. They named it after, uh, they name it like that after Tua because he had the same thing, uh, you know, I think when he was in college. And um, and so, you know, it's designed to help fix the, uh, you know, the high ankle sprain. And uh, and he was able to get back on the field. He missed six games and then fought his way back onto the field last year, Cedric Tillman did. Uh, but people sort of forgot about him. He had 12 touchdown catches in 2021. So the production is there. And I do think that he's going to be that red zone threat that Deshaun Watson is going to come to really love and rely on. You got me thinking when you were talking about Josh Gordon and more, if you could take like Amari Cooper's like brain and work ethic and just all the, that stuff, not now look, Amari is good and is fantastic in his own right. I don't want to take anything away from him, but if you could take that stuff and put it in Josh Gordon, he I can't imagine what his ceiling would have been because you go back and watch those highlights from 2013 
and, you know, watch the Jacksonville game, watch that Patriots game just to watch him run. Like just looked so easy and he's just out there outrunning people. And it doesn't even look like he's running fast. Like it doesn't even look like he's working that hard to, to outrun people. He was just a physical specimen. Um, and of course, unfortunately we all know that it just never worked out for him for a lot of reasons. Yeah. I mean, if you would have put all of those Amari uh, traits and qualities, the the off the field intangible stuff into Josh Gordon, I'm telling you right now, like he would have been a slam dunk hall of famer. He had all the talent and ability to be a hall of fame receiver. And, you know, he, he really didn't do all the things that you need to do to be great uh, because he was struggling back then with substance abuse, you know, self-admitted um, later as we came to find out. Uh, but, you know, he wasn't putting all the work in. He wasn't putting all the effort in. He was naturally physically just built and muscular and big. Uh, he just had, you know, soft, natural hands. He could get open. He was a great route runner. I mean, he just had it all. And uh, what a tremendous, tremendous waste of talent that was that he just couldn't get himself together, unfortunately, because I've really never seen any kind of a talented receiver like that, you know, up close and personal uh, for the Cleveland Browns. It was just absolutely incredible. And um, yeah, it was, uh, it, it's sad that it turned out the way that it did uh, because again, he was, he, he had absolute hall of fame talent. Yeah. And like, I, you know, I'll never forget. And I think it was 2014. He came back from a suspension and he was definitely not in shape. He was not the Josh Gordon that, that had broken out the, you know, the year before, but he went over a hundred yards in Atlanta and caught two touchdowns. Now his season derailed from there. I think it was two touchdowns, but it was just kind of funny to see him basically walk onto the field there and, and have a game like that. Now to spin this back to Cedric, um, you know, in reading a lot of the post-draft analysis, a lot of people really liked this pick. There were a lot of people that were excited about this pick. There were some people that thought maybe he was a better pick than his teammate, Jalen Hyatt. We'll, we'll see how that goes over the next few years, but when you look at Cedric Tillman, I mean, is, is this a guy that you believe and do you think the Browns believe could be like a number one receiver for them one day? Yes, I do think that. I really do. I think they're looking at him as the possible heir apparent to Amari Cooper. I think that that's what they think they possibly have in Cedric Tillman. And chances are he would have gone significantly higher had he had a good 2022. A lot of times when uh, you know, when you have a down season like that and you've been injured, people do have a tendency to forget about you a little bit. And I, you know, you know, maybe they would have selected Jalen Hyatt had he been there and Cedric Tillman had also been there. Uh, chances are they, you know, they would have because uh, Jalen Hyatt wasn't coming off of an injury like that or didn't have an injury in his final season like that. Um but maybe not. I mean, maybe this was still their guy. You know, it, it's hard to say. The Giants jumped up right above them and uh, and took Jalen Hyatt also from Tennessee. Uh, so, you know, I don't know how they would have approached that yet. But um, but Cedric Tillman, you know, could turn out to be the better pro of the two. And I think the size is so intriguing, especially when you have someone like Deshaun Watson playing with him. And the way that he's going to be able to take advantage of that height uh, in the red zone, in the end zone, he's going to throw a lot of touchdown passes this year. And I think that Tillman is going to be on the receiving end of at least some of that. 
Yeah, you do wonder when when a team makes a move like that to jump ahead, if they have some kind of intel or if they're just kind of playing off instinct or or whatever it might be. Um, but but those are always interesting moves when teams make them. So I'm going to go to this question because I think it, it could sort of be, you know, still in the same room. Brian from Delaware, Ohio. Hey, Mary Kay, now that free agency and the draft are finished, which veteran player should be unexpectedly breaking a bit of a sweat about making the team? Well, it's funny that you should ask that because, uh, you know, just a little bit earlier today as we're taping this on Tuesday, I wrote a column about that because there are a number of young players now who are going to be having to step up their game uh, to the nth degree to make sure that they are getting on the field and beating out some of these new guys. When you have a draft like this and when you have a free agency period like this, you get so excited and enamored with your new shiny toys that you have a tendency to forget about some of the older toys that you used to play with all the time. And, you know, you want to see what the new stuff is all about and what it can do. And I think that because of that, there are going to be some guys that that are really going to have to fight hard to keep playing time, to keep reps, to keep jobs and that sort of thing. So let's start at the wide receiver position. Uh, you know, you look at it now, there are 13 players in that room. They've had they've added four new pass catchers this offseason. If you include uh, Jordan Akins, the tight end, who will be more like a big receiver. Uh, so they've added four guys and, you know, they're not all going to get on the field. I mean, they're just not all going to get on the field. Uh, so, I mean, let's let's start with David Bell. I mean, David Bell now is going to have Elijah Moore kind of in his way, you know, when it goes to, when it comes to playing that inside position, uh, I think that, you know, if you were able to get Amari and Cedric Tillman or Amari and Donovan out there, you know, sort of on the outside and Elijah Moore on the inside, you know, that could mean fewer reps for David Bell. So he's one that, you know, I have sort of circled in red as thinking you've really got to get out there and show that you deserve to get a bunch of playing time. Anthony Schwartz, of course, you know, I mean, he struggled mentally and physically last year, and now they brought in Marquise Goodwin to be that vertical stretch guy. And so Anthony Schwartz, is he going to make the team? We don't even know. I mean, there's a chance he might end up on the practice squad and still develop for a while, but even Donovan Peoples Jones, the way that this works out, you know, he might get fewer reps than he got in the past. If you, if Cedric Tillman comes up that learning curve, really quickly, there will be times where perhaps Donovan doesn't get on the field when he would have in the past. So from a, from a receiving standpoint, you know, you've got that from a tight end standpoint, Harrison Bryant, he's got to, he's really got to make sure that he's going to be getting out there because they have David Njoku, number one, Jordan Akins bumps up to, I think right off the bat, number two, he's got timing with Deshaun Watson played with him in Houston. And I know they really like him. Uh, so those are a couple guys there. Then you move over to the defensive side of the ball, defensive tackle. I mean, you know, Jordan, the, let's just talk about the three defensive tackles from last year. Jordan Elliott, Tommy Togiai, Perion Winfrey, the key, you know, three main ones from last year. Those guys all graded out anywhere from 126 to 130, number 126 in the NFL to number 130 in the NFL in PFF grades. So when you bring in Siaki Ika, you bring in Dalvin Tomlinson, you bring in Tristan Hill, you bring in Maurice Hurst, something's going to have to give. And we know these new guys have, 
you know, they got the marching orders from Jim Schwartz. What do you want in a defensive tackle? And the personnel department went out and tried to get what Jim Schwartz wants. These guys fit the profile. Andrew Berry says the old guys do too. There's not that much difference, uh, but I think there's going to be some recency bias and the old guys are really going to have to scrap for their playing time. Yeah, receiver and defensive tackle were the two areas where when, when I looked at the roster and, and the way I the way I kind of did it um, was I, I called it the Sharpie category, which is these are the guys you can just write in. They're going to make the roster. It doesn't matter, you know, unless they get hurt. And defensive tackle was where you had Dalvin Tomlinson, Siaki, Siaki Ika. And then I had another category where I felt like guys were on solid footing, meaning they had a good chance. That's why I had Tristan Hill, Maurice Hurst, and kind of shakily, which goes against the category, I guess, Jordan Elliott. But that would be five, and five feels like a lot. Jordan Elliott's the one that I feel the the least confident in. Um, you mentioned Harrison Bryant. He might have been one of the winners this past weekend, at least for now, because he, he's essentially the third tight end, which I, th- I still think you're keeping three tight ends. Um, even though you you aren't going to use that 13 personnel as often. So uh, he at least came out of the weekend breathing a sigh of relief. But defensive tackle is a big one. You talked about receivers. You know, a lot of it might depend on like Marquise Goodwin and Jakeem Grant. And, you know, we, we had a Demetric Felton question uh, that, that we'll get to here, kind of what they think of him. One kind of under the radar one, though, that that popped up as I was doing this was like, what's going to happen at center? Because we know Ethan Posich is the guy. And then they go out and they draft, uh, you know, they have Nick Harris on the roster, of course, already. And he's coming off the injury. And, and we've talked a little bit about him. But then they go and they draft Luke Whipler from Ohio State. And we know that Andrew Barry has not cut a draft pick yet the same year that he's picked the player. Dawson Deaton's on the roster too. We, a lot of people forget about him, obviously, because he was out for the year last year and he was a seventh round pick. But center is kind of sneakily an area to keep an eye on because if they really like Luke Whipler and he can play a little bit of guard, that might leave Nick Harris in a tough spot. Yeah, it could. It really could. And, and you know, I mean, you have to look at the medicals too with Nick Harris. He's coming off a very, very sin- serious knee injury and I know he was very optimistic about coming back very strong this year um but even from a a size standpoint he's not you know real big for that position and you know he's just not your prototypical center so you know even though I know they had some high hopes about him I'm not entirely certain uh that they're super comfortable you know you know just with him as you know, re- relying on him to be able to get the job done. Um, so that, yeah, there's competition there now. There's definitely competition. And I think some of it will depend on how quickly Luke Whipler comes up that learning curve, uh, because you're probably not going to need necessarily two backup centers. Uh, special teams ability will help determine if you make the team at that spot um, and the ability to play guard. Um, but if you can, you know, if you can snap that ball and you can, you know, and you can play center, then, um, you know, the, you're going to be in the competition there. So, yeah, we don't know yet who that's going to be, who the number two center will be. Does Nick have what it takes or are they going to move on and look more towards Luke? One one other name staying on the offensive line, and I think there's still a spot for him. But I thought, you know, we talked about how the Dewan Jones pick would impact. Does it impact Jedrick Wills or Jack Conklin's future? But it kind of impacts James Hudson, at least in the immediate future. You know, now I think he's fine, but 
you know, who's going to be the first swing tackle up? I, I think that's one of the questions that that has to get answered too. Yeah. And I think it will depend on, um, you know, on how quickly Dewan Jones comes up the learning curve and he should come, come up pretty quickly under Bill Callahan, the best offensive line coach in the NFL. And a lot of people thought that he could have been a first round pick. Some people thought he could have been a second round pick. So he's one that slipped a little bit for a number of different reasons. And uh, if, if he plays up to what people originally thought he was going to in, in the pros, then I think he moves up ahead of, of James Hudson. I, I mean, the vibe sort of is that he is, he's going to supersede James Hudson. Now it doesn't mean that James Hudson isn't going to be around again. They're trying to get, get guys in the pipeline. So I think Dewan Jones will be a starter um, within the next couple of years, maybe even next year. We don't know yet, but I mean, that could happen. So, um, so he, he will be, and then James Hudson just keep, you know, has to keep the pedal to the metal and prove that he deserves to be around. And, you know, he's got to keep learning and progressing and developing. He could stick around as a swing tackle, you know, who knows, maybe there is a, you know, a starting job in him down the road. But once again, always think in terms of farm system and pipeline. Okay, there were a few more roster questions. There was a lot about receiver, and, and we kind of touched on some of those, but I do want to get into a couple more specifics here. And this one is from Paul Nichols in Bay Village. And I asked this one just because I'm, I'm sort of in the camp of never say never with a player, especially with, with this team. Hey, Mary Kay, is there even a remote chance that Anthony Schwartz remains on this team by the end of training camp? It's a great question. I mean, it is a really good question. We know that uh, that Andrew Berry doesn't like to give on his up on his draft picks. We know that he's only cut one so far in safety. Richard LeCount. Um, we know that they loved Anthony Schwartz's speed, and they felt that he was a player that they could really develop into something. A third round pick is not a throwaway pick. That is something that you know you hope your third round picks turn into either starters down the road or very very key contributors. And so far, Anthony Schwartz hasn't been able to do that for uh, for two reasons, from the physical standpoint and from the mental standpoint. He has admitted, uh, you know, that he struggles with, you know, kind of performance or playing anxiety a little bit. And uh, so, you know, hopefully for his sake, uh, he's worked hard on that end of it. And then he needed to get tougher and stronger. And so if he can, you know, solve those two issues, maybe he can go out and surprise people this year. But, you know, he's got to be able to get out there and play uh, the game and prove he, he can handle it th at this level and that the moment isn't too big for him and that he can handle the stress and all that stuff that comes along with it. If he can do that, then maybe they won't give up on him. But maybe he also ends up on the practice squad for a period of time because Marquise Goodwin is, you know, their vertical stretch guy that they'll probably use uh, this year. But then you still want a speedster like that in the pipeline. Is Anthony going to be able to be that guy? I don't know. I mean, time is starting to run out on him a little bit, but he does have traits that they like. It, yeah. And, and like I said, I just, if a guy's on the roster, if he's on the field in training camp, like just, you just never say never. Cause you just don't know. Could there be an injury? You could, he suddenly flash, you know, no pun intended there with, with Anthony's uh, Twitter name, but, but could he flash, you know, in, in a game or in, in practice or something like you just, you just never say never with, with these guys, especially if it's a draft pick and they have a chance to say, hey, look, this guy's starting to develop. Let's keep him. 
and they like him. That's another thing about this. They know that he's struggled. They know that he's worked really, really hard to overcome his struggles and they've seen his work ethic and they like him as a person. And I think a lot of times uh, when a player has traits that you really admire and you couple that with personality traits and qualities that you like, then I think sometimes you give a guy a benefit of the doubt. There are times where you have to know when to fold them though as well. And I think it's it's going to, you know, pretty soon it will get to that point with Anthony Schwartz where they have to figure out, uh, you know, is it time to to move on? Or, you know, now with these expanded practice squads and these practice squad rules, can you just kind of let them continue to develop, you know, for another year or so and see what happens? Okay, I'm going to preface this question by some big developments on the roster front here. Uh, we got a Demetric Felton question because it wouldn't be an offseason without Demetric Felton. There are actually two running back questions I want to get to here before we take a break. But Demetric Felton, now officially on the Browns roster, listed as a running back slash wide receiver. It's a big development. They, they haven't wanted to admit that he's a wide receiver yet. He was on the depth chart last year as a wide receiver by the end of the year. And actually they have a roster that's on like a, a media site that we have access to where they list him as a wide receiver. So he's all over the place, but uh, interesting question from Bob Rupel in novelty, Ohio, since the Browns did not take a running back. Hey, Mary Kay. Is there a chance that Demetric Felton could be the team's third string running back? He could be. I mean, there is a chance he could be. I mean, they've really been kind of trying to find a spot for him and a home for him and a role for him. So he could be. But I also think that they need to add to the running back pile a little bit. I think you need to add another kind of a, you know, like a big bruising running back that can fill in for, uh, you know, for Nick Chubb and do some of the things that Nick Chubb does. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, what Jerome Ford can do in that regard. Um, but yeah, it, it's time to sort of figure out what Demetric Felton is all about and how he can carve out a niche and a role for himself on this team. Cause he's been a bit of a tweener uh, and he's been a little bit of someone that, you know, just kind of is not fully a receiver, not fully a running back. And they haven't seemed to know exactly what they want to do with him. Uh, but now is the year to maybe to carve out a role for him and let him try to get good at it. And what, you know, with, whether it's running back or receiver, you know, let him do something and, and get some success so he can see what he really is. I used to be really into like young guys, like playing multiple positions and like, you know, the Duke Johnson's and, you know, like the Demetric Felton. I think if anybody remembers Matthew days, I might be the only one. He was one of those guys that they brought in. I've always liked that idea, but I think more and more um, I've sort of st started to lean towards if you have a young guy, unless he's really a special like Debo Samuel type, if you have a young guy, just put him somewhere and let him, let him specialize in that for a little while and let him really learn that, especially, a, you know, a guy like Demetric Felton was a sixth round pick. I think it was. Mm -hmm. So you're asking a lot for that guy to come into an NFL building and basically have to split his time between rooms and learn multiple positions. Um, especially if he hasn't had to do that before. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot to heap on a young guy's plate like that. And then, uh, you know, when you're straddling two worlds like that, you don't really have an opportunity necessarily to excel in either one. That's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is you have the versatility to try to make the team at two different spots. Um, so, 
you know, that, you know, you can use that possibly to your advantage. But I think this is a pivotal year for him uh, to show that he belongs somewhere because receiver, I mean, really, that, that room is crowded right now. That room is crowded. And, you know, I think his best bet right now would be to try to show that he can be that sort of scat back, third down back kind of a guy. All right, let's take a break. And then I've got one more running back question, but we're going to save it uh, for the other side of this break here on the Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast on a Tuesday, the Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. And this comes from our buddy Paxton Styles from Chevrolet, Maryland. Hey, Mary Kay, the Browns didn't draft a running back this year. Do you think it was because a lack of quality backs that late? Or do you think it means they're leaning towards keeping Kareem Hunt a little bit longer? Well, Kareem Hunt is already off the roster and basically gone. They let him walk in free agency. Uh, You know, he's not on the team right now. So if he were going to be back with the team, and it is unlikely, uh, they would have to go out and re-sign him. Now, the only way I see that happening is if, he absolutely cannot find a job anywhere else, and they bring him back on a veteran minimum contract. It would be a tough pill for Kareem Hunt to swallow. It's not what he expected to happen. Uh, I think he probably figured that he would have a, a good job by now, and that's not happening. And, you know, I, I kind of have a feeling that, again, it's unlikely, but there is a chance that Andrew Barry would throw him a lifeline in the event that, uh, you know, that he needs a camp to go to, or that he needs to kind of get back on the NFL radar and the NFL map a little bit. So we'll have to see what happens there. But if they, you know, if they could get him at the veteran minimum, I mean, why not do that? Why not, uh, you know, come in here and, uh, you know, get back with your, your best friend, Nick Chubb. I think he's got a tremendous, tremendous effect on Nick Chubb, you know, keeps things light with him. Nick loves having him around. And then in the event you need to use him, he's right there for you. And they don't have have Dearness Johnson anymore either. So I don't think it could hurt to bring him back if you could get him for that price. Yeah, it's a little thin in that running back room right now um, mm-hmm. with Nick Chubb. We talked about Jerome Ford a little bit earlier. Um, he, he seems like he's going to get the opportunity to be in that Kareem Hunt role. Uh, but after that, you're looking at John Kelly, who's sort of, I mean, he's been around. They like him but he's always kind of a practice squad guy. Um, and, and there's a couple other guys in that room, but you know, if Kareem Hunt's willing to come in and, and kind of still let Jerome Ford sort of have the role he had, but also be that insurance policy and, and maybe get some reps here and there, uh, maybe you can make it work. Yeah. I mean, Kareem Hunt can still score the football. And I think that's important. You know, I mean, he, he is good on the goal line. And, you know, I think there's something to be said for that. So even if he's a role player like that, uh, you know, where you, you know, you give Nick a, uh, you know, a breather and and you can obviously also bring Kareem in to catch the ball out of the backfield. So I just don't think it would be the worst idea in the world um, in the event, the veteran minimum worked out that way. Okay, next question here. I'm going to preface this one with a a little research we did. Uh, This comes from Dan in D.C. Hey, Mary Kay, using the benefit of hindsight and knowing all the players who could have been available in the second round, how do you feel about the Elijah Moore trade? Is there anyone you would have preferred to draft over Moore? So here are the players. I'm going to go through number 50 here. So at 42, the Packers took Luke Musgrave, the tight end out of Oregon State. 
at 43. The Jets took Joe Tipman, the center out of Wisconsin. The Colts took Julius Brents, cornerback Kansas State. The Lions took Brian Branch, safety Alabama. Keon White went 46th to the Patriots, the, the edge rusher out of Georgia, Georgia Tech, I should say. Uh, Jartavius Martin, the DB out of Illinois, went 47 to Washington. Two, Three more here. Cody Mock, the guard from North Dakota State, went to Tampa. At 49, the Steelers took Keanu Benton out of Wisconsin, the nose tackle. And Green Bay took Jaden Reed, uh, wide receiver out of Michigan State, at number 50. So those are the players... The Browns missed out on Mary Kay in, in trading for Elijah Moore. Were there any names there that make you think, man, I wish they had that guy instead of Elijah Moore? You know, there are some names on that list that I know they were intrigued by, that they brought in for 30 visits. We know that uh, Greg Newsom was lobbying for Jaden Reed, the receiver out of Michigan State. Um, but when I look at that second round pick, I think that uh, Elijah Moore was the best use of that pick. I still feel that way. Now we won't know for two or three more years. Maybe one of those guys will go on to be NFL defensive player of the year. We have no idea. Maybe there's an Aaron Donald in there. I, you know, we don't know. Um, but for the most part, I think that it was really, really wise to choose a receiver that you knew had experience and really good production, because that's what Deshaun Watson needs right now. They didn't have very much experience on the receiving core um, behind Amari Cooper and then, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones. But beyond that, everybody was basically really young. And, uh, you know, there's just a lot to be said for some good veteran experience. And he's only been around for two years. This is his third season, but he's got a lot of playing time. He's got a lot of reps. He's had good production. He caught five touchdown passes as a rookie, uh, showed really, really good potential and promise there. Uh, So I think, you know, somebody tried and true uh, for Deshaun Watson in that second round was better than taking a chance on, say, you know, like a Jaden Reed or something like that. Yeah. And when I look at the two names that I would maybe mention, like, oh, I would have I would have been okay with that pick. Right. Jaden Reed is one of them. Well, they ended up taking a wide receiver anyway and Cedric Tillman, who's just as intriguing. Um, and Keanu Benton is, is the other name that I, you know, I know, uh, I know Lance Rice was a big Keanu Benton fan. Uh, you know, he'd have been a guy that I'd have been interested in, but later in the draft, they end up taking a defensive tackle anyway in Siaki Ika. So, you know, we'll see, like you said, maybe Keanu Benton turns into Aaron Donald and is a defensive player of the year candidate and is an absolute game wrecker. And maybe Ika's not, but I, there's a there's a world where the Browns make that trade and they still fill a couple needs later in the draft and it all works out. Yeah, I, I think the key was experience. Like, I think that was one of the most important things that they need to, to give to Deshaun Watson. You saw times in his six games last year where a play could have been made, a touchdown pass could have been caught if he had a more experienced veteran receiver there with him. And he is also a unique kind of quarterback. You know, you have to be ready for the things that he's going to deliver. I say that all the time on this podcast. I know I sound like a broken record, but I mean, you've got to be ready on the scramble drill. You've got to be ready for the no look pass. You've got to know how to kind of stay in his field of vision and you have to know how to read the field and get open and get away from receivers and freelance a little bit and be available for him on those scramble drills. And that's not necessarily always that easy. It's not always something that you can coach. 
it's very instinctual. And I think Elijah Moore has some of those natural capabilities. Okay, another question here. This comes from Tom in Middlebury, Connecticut. It's about how we judge draft picks. Uh, hey, Mary Kay, do you and Dan tend to be overly optimistic when it comes to draft picks? Or do you, do, do you tend to be spot on in your post-draft evaluations through the years? I cut some of that question out. He was asking sort of how we used to view... You know, like, how did you view the Gilbert pick, the Manziel pick, the Garrett pick, things like that. And but I think it's an interesting question about how, like, in the moment, do we view these draft picks and how do we try to judge some of these draft picks? Because I've sort of got I just have an approach that I try to stick with when it comes to you when the Browns make a pick like Cedric Tillman. How do you try to evaluate that pick? Well, with a guy like Cedric Tillman, you know, I look at the you know, I look at the size. I look at the production. I look at those 12 touchdown catches, uh, you know, I take into account what he's like when we interview him. Um, and, I, you know, you can often tell during that first interview uh, what they're going to be like. You know, we we interview differently than teams do. We ask questions a team might not ask, um, you know, and, and that's what we do for a living. And so I think sometimes we can draw some things out that might give you a little insight into a player and their mentality and their psyche and how they're going to handle things. Um, but, you know, he's passing the, the eyeball test for me so far. He's passing the, you know, the background test in terms of, you know, what he's been able to produce so far. Uh, you know, good bloodlines. We, we know his dad, is, you know, was an NFL receiver. So, you know, he's got the athleticism, you know, that's genuine. Um, so, you know, I put a lot of things into the hopper when I try to figure out if I uh, am on board with a pick or not. Sometimes when we talk about the eyeball test, we judge a person by their, their physical appearance. Um, and teams do that too. It's not just us. And sometimes we can tell right away they don't pass the eyeball test. Now, that doesn't mean that can't change. Cedric did, by the way, pass the eyeball test. Some don't. And that doesn't mean they can't change, right? I mean, we've seen guys come in and change their physical bodies. But there's been other guys where it's like, uh-oh, he doesn't look like a football player, <laughs> right? I mean, it, it's so bizarre that you can get to this point in the draft and it's like, wait a minute, that guy doesn't, you know, doesn't look like what I expect an athlete to look like. Um, so there's some of that that goes on, but let me just say with, with Cedric Tillman, uh, I have a really good feeling about him. Yeah. The eyeball test is always interesting, especially when we get to see him on the field for the first time. Like that's always kind of fun to get your eyeballs on somebody. And especially if it's somebody who's like a JOK who we knew was who was smaller, like a different body type to kind of get eyeballs on a guy like that and see how he looks. And I was just thinking about this guy today because the Browns gave a pretty big guarantee to, uh, and I don't have the name in front of me, but to a linebacker this year, an undrafted free agent. Mm -hmm. And it got me thinking of a few years ago. Do you remember the name Marvin Wilson? Yes. So mm -hmm. the Browns gave a, at the time, it was a pretty sizable guarantee to him in 21, I think it was. Yeah. And so I was like kind of excited to see Marvin Wilson in practice. And then I saw him like run through the bags and I was yeah. like, Ooh, I don't know about this. You kind right. of see if guy looks guys look stiff or if they look natural. And so there's some of that. Um, one of the things that uh, to really answer Tom's question is like in the moment, I try not to be like, you know, I don't ever want to look at a player and be like, well, oh, that's a that's a terrible pick to pick that player. Um, I, I try to kind of focus on the process and like 
you know, is this the position like the Dorian Thompson Robinson pick, right? I've been a little critical of them maybe taking a quarterback there, but not of the player. I think, the, I mean, I actually think he's an interesting player. Um, so I try to not pass judgment on the players themselves until, you know, we actually can see them on the field and see how they play and see how they look. Because I, I think it can be unfair sometimes to a kid, you know, the minute he gets drafted to say, well, that's a terrible pick. That guy's not going to be any good. Cause we do, there's just so much that goes into it. Yeah, there is so much that goes into it. But I mean, after you've been doing this for so long, you start to develop some instincts about, right. About whether, you know, a guy, you know, has what it takes mentally, whether he loves the game of football. I think that's important. I think that's really, really important. You kind of have to be a little bit of a gym rat, not a little bit of a gym rat. You have to be a gym rat at this age, at this stage of the game uh, to really be good because it takes so much heart and soul. This is not college where, you know, you can put part-time effort in and still be good. Um, and then the eyeball test, I think the the reason why we're able to uh, see some different things when they get here on the grass is because you're comparing them to NFL players. And at any other point, they have been compared to college players. And so you get them here and you can see pretty quickly how they stack up physically, speed-wise, strength-wise. I mean, when you watch the defensive linemen going through the bags, you know, you can see certain things and you can pick up certain things. Um, and, you you know, you can kind of get a feel for, uh, who you know, who's got what it takes and who might struggle. And um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think we're usually – pretty close to being spot on if we're if we get really concerned about a guy early on I think there's been plenty of times Dan where uh where that guy you know did struggle to make it and uh and yeah I think I I would have to say I mean I think after all these years we have a pretty good eye yeah you you kind of know what you're looking at you know and yeah. I, I think that's a really good point the whole like you're comparing this guy to other NFL players now and obviously right. like you know you compare anybody to Miles Garrett they're not going to stack up but right we're not just talking like Miles. we're talking like middle of the roster guys bottom like you're comparing these guys to an entire NFL roster and, and you do get a good idea and I've heard I've actually especially heard linemen say this but like a lot of them will say sometimes like you they know right away as soon as they line up next to a guy and take that first rep yeah. So sometimes they just know right away, like this guy, this guy's not it. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I have seen plenty of guys show up on the doorstep and, you know, by, by the first, not necessarily the rookie mini camp, because once again, you're comparing college players to college players, but by the end of the regular mini camp, you know, a lot of times, you know, you kind of have a, a feel for a guy. I mean, that gives me an idea for like, player evaluation somehow they should like always get these guys around around actual nfl players uh before sort of putting these grades on them but uh but yeah we you know we can usually tell pretty early on if a guy is going to struggle i think sometimes too like we can all be guilty of this in a lot of stuff sometimes there's so much effort and work that goes into this stuff that like they can overthink it sometimes yeah so maybe that initial thought about a guy starts to turn when they start talking to more people and watching more tape and doing, and I'm not saying they shouldn't do that stuff, but I'm just some, sometimes that initial impression that might be like, oh, I don't know about this guy. It can turn. And then they actually get him on an NFL field. And it turns out that that initial instinct was correct. <laughs> so, sometimes yeah. you can overdo it in, in the process. 
Yes, absolutely. But it's fun to be a part of this part of it, you know, these steps along the way where, you know, you see a guy from, you know, what you might have watched on on film or what you might have seen at the combine to having them end up in the building, to seeing them in rookie minicamp, to seeing them in veteran minicamp, and then what how it plays out in training camp. It's kind of cool to watch that progression. Yeah. And and to do it over multiple years too, to see a guy, you know, come back, maybe his body looks different or so. It's just, yeah, th- this is kind of the fun part when we get more access to like these guys on the field than we're going to get uh, really at any other time. So um, yeah, we're getting ready for it. I think that'll do it. That was our last question here on this podcast. So like I said, we are getting ready for it. And so you want to get involved in Football Insider. Uh, Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page, texting a newsletter every day in your inbox. And of course, uh, you get access to exclusive stories on Cleveland.com slash Browns, like the roster reset I just put up. I know Mary Kay has stories up that you got to be a Football Insider subscriber to read. So again, Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page for that. And also just make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. I know we had a really great listenership over this last week leading up to the draft. Um, so we are really appreciative of all of our listeners and subscribers. So uh, get subscribed to this podcast on Apple podcasts or Spotify. That's free. So that doesn't cost you anything to do that. Uh, so make sure you're subscribed there. So you get this as soon as it hits those feeds. Uh, Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later. Sounds great. Sounds great.